listening to audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit twinvillageschurch.org. And the fact that Jesus died for our sins is the greatest news, right? It is the greatest news, and you're going to hear that um, by God's grace this morning as we continue in the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 6 through 20 um, is where we're going to be. And this is, I am not very creative um, when it comes to sermon titles, um, and I get some grief from that from people from time to time, and this is one of these... Like, I just said it's the five woes, right? It's not really super creative, um, but by God's grace, you'll hear the beauty of the gospel um, and the beauty of our God and our Lord and Savior come through this morning. Um, as we have worked through this book, I've tried to remind us to think of those three things, right? God, man, God's redemptive plan. What do we learn about God? What do we learn about man? And what do we learn about God's redemptive plan? Last week, we talked about that second complaint right, that Habakkuk brings, why Babylon? Right, why are you using a nation that is more wicked and evil than Judah? And God's response to that was basically, right, wait patiently and prayerfully, it'll all work out. He has a purpose, and his purpose is perfect. So we have to trust, we have to have faith and pray while we wait and while we endure these hard seasons. And what I want to say, I didn't mention it last week, but I want to mention it briefly this morning, is that do you realize, right, that in that God never answered Habakkuk's question? Right? Habakkuk's question was, why are you using them? And God said, wait, trust. Right? He never so it's kind of like Job. If you read the book of Job, right, and you read through the first part of the book of Job, or first two-thirds of the book of Job, it's Job kind of trying to reason in his mind. He's got these three friends that really aren't super stellar friends, but they're trying to figure out what God is doing. Right? And then God answers Job and says, hey, listen, dress for action like a man and answer me these questions. And you just read God firing question after question after question after question after Job to Job. And Job just says, I'm done. He taps out and says, I'm just going to be quiet and listen because you're God and I'm not. Similar kind of idea here um, with Habakkuk. But now Habakkuk launches into these, these five woes. And so what I want to do is I want to read this passage for us uh, this morning, uh, verses 6 through 20. Um, I will pray for us once again, and then we will have fun in the Word of God this morning. So if you could please stand with me, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word this morning. <clears throat> A prophet Habakkuk wrote these words on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps, who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be a spoil for them, because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the people shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities, and to all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. 
You have devised shame for your house. By cutting off many peoples, you have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork responds. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them, for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities, and all who dwell in them. What profit is an idol when a maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, or to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple, and all the earth keeps silence before him. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for the gift of your word and the truth of your words. But I pray that you'll give us hearts to be moved by your word this morning. Lord, you give us ears to understand, ears to hear, and minds to understand. Lord, and that we would humble ourselves before you. We would humble ourselves before your words and the working of your spirit in our hearts. Lord, your word is truth. It's my prayer that you would sanctify us in your truth. And I pray this all in your name. Amen. All right, so if we remember, right, the first complaint was how long, right, how long was God going to allow the wickedness and evil um, to continue in Judah specifically? And then the second complaint was, like, why are you choosing to use Babylon to judge and bring discipline on your people, the people of, of Judah? Well, these complaints were addressed to God. And almost in a sense of trying to hold God accountable for what he was doing or what he actually was not doing from Habakkuk's perspective. There was wickedness and there was evil and violence both within and beyond Judah. And those woes, right, not those woes, excuse me, those complaints were addressed both in regards to Judah and Babylon. And I believe that these woes are directed at both parties as well. Right, so what I want to do is I want to draw your attention to something that you maybe have in your Bible right above verse 6. And my Bible says, woe to the Chaldeans. Okay? So I don't want you to think for a moment that, that I'm, I'm going off the rails theologically here. All right? Th th those words, woe to the Chaldeans or woe to Babylon, whatever it might be, um, those are not inspired words. Those are added in just like your chapter numbers and your verse numbers are added in to your Bibles to help you to find things quicker. Those little headings, right, these translation things put in to help you kind of understand what's, what's kind of happening in that section. Right? But I believe right, that it's not just the Chaldeans, it is also Judah that is feeling the weight of these woes. 
And what we're going to see here is that as these woes go, as these five go, each of them kind of builds towards the recognition that God is indeed involved in his creation. Whether you think you can see it firsthand or not, make no doubt about it, he is involved. And these woes, okay, and, and we'll unpack these, but this idea of extortion, greed and pride, violence and just outright iniquity, idolatry, shame and disgrace, all of those aren't just a Babylonian thing and aren't just a Judah thing. If you look at our world today, if you look at every nation that has, God has raised up on this planet that either may not be around anymore, if you look at every nation that is exa- existing on our planet now, all of these woes pertain to every nation on earth. Everyone. Extortion, greed, pride, violence, iniquity, shame, disgrace, idolatry. So as we sit here this morning and we hear this, you have to understand one point of application is this that applies to every nation on the planet and will apply to every nation on the planet. There's only one kingdom that will never experience any of this, and that's the kingdom of God, who if you're in Christ, you're a member of the kingdom of God, and one day he's going to make all things new. He's going to wipe away every tear. But right now, we live in this soup, this wickedness, and in this, this evil. And so Habakkuk writes these woes, and these woes are not so much a gloating like, woe to you, right? It's more of a how terrible. Like it's this profound sense of woe, the, 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 the wickedness and the, the, the evil. It, it's, it's horrendous. So you, you almost feel the weights. But as we work our way through these this morning, it's my prayer that you feel that weight lessen as we experience these and think through these woes. And you'll notice in the first part of verse 6, right, how kind of ambiguous it is. This is why I think it's not just for the Chaldeans. I think it's for Judah, right? So now all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him, right? It's not specific. It's very kind of generic and general in nature. And so it's speaking to those who are doing the oppressing, the oppressor, and those that are being oppressed. But there's no specifics, So that means if you're here this morning and you're suffering from oppression, if you're feeling the effects of wickedness and evil against you, and you might be the cause of that, but it might be coming from the outside, if you're feeling that, then these words that Habakkuk wrote centuries ago can be your words. They're words of lament and of the realities and the hardships of life. You ready? I'm ready. First woe. All right, this, is, this, is an, this is, we'll move quickly, all right? Quickly. All right, through these. Okay? Extortion. Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads up himself with pledges. 
Will you not make your debtors suddenly arise and those who awake make you tremble? Then you will be a spoil for them because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the people shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and to all who dwell in them. It's extortion. It's these, these, these nations, it's these people that use their power to get things for themselves, to take advantage of others. Could be through force, could be through threats, blackmail. But it's these people, it's these nations that use their power to gain wealth for themselves, whether it's from nations or cities or people. It's tragic. <laughs> it's horrendous. It's wicked and it's evil. But then you hear what Habakkuk writes in verse 7. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those who awake will make you tremble? Then you will be a spoil for them. Right? At some point, the one, the oppressor, will become the oppressed. And that someone will rise up against them and will oppress them. The, plunder, the plunderer will become the plunderers. Right? It's going to come back around. Right now... Right? People say, oh, that's karma, man. That's not karma, okay? It's Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. It will happen, right? The judgment of those people will turn around and they will be judged for their actions and they'll experience the same things that they put on other people. You're going to reap what you sow. They've plundered, they've shed lots of blood, they've promoted violence, but justice will be done to them in God's own time in the same way they did it to other people. You look around our world and you see this. You see it. There will be justice done. Second woe, <laughs> greed and arrogance. And in this, right, there's an attempt to, to buy security, to buy peace. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high to be safe from the reach of harm. Right, it's this unjust gain Right? It's this greed, but you're amassing this greed so that in your arrogance, you believe that you're invincible and untouchable. Then no one can get you. The nest on high is a reference to like an eagle. If you look at an eagle's nest and sits way up high, kind of above everything else, right? And you think, oh, no one's going to get that thing, right? Like we have, we have a cell tower across from our house, right? And the osprey build nests there every year. And every so often they go up and they think they tear them down and they just build them back up again. But you look at that and like, there's no one, not, nothing to climb up there and get them. That's the idea here, that in their arrogance, they believe that they are setting up safety and security and they're beyond the reach of anyone. Those that are oppressing aren't going to be able to touch them, let alone any other nation or any other person in the world. It's greed and it's arrogance. Verse 10, you have, devised, you have devised shame for your house, 
by cutting off many peoples, you have forfeited your life. You, you think that that evil gain is going to give you something, that you, are, that you are indeed safe. Ultimately, right, it leads to shame. And it leads to your own undoing. You think you're creating safety and security, but you're actually forfeiting your life. Isn't that what Jesus told the rich fool in Luke 12? Who was amassing goods and building more barns. Didn't help him at all. In the end, it's the same idea. Proverbs 15, 27. Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own households. Right? For the stone will cry out, verse 11 of Habakkuk 2, the stone will cry out from the wall, the beam, from the woodwork, responds. You, 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 you think that you're building this, but you, you're, you're so guilty, there's going to be so much shame that even your house is going to cry out against you. Made me think of Luke chapter 19 and verse 40. Jesus is making his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And the Pharisees are telling Jesus, tell your people to, to zip it already, okay? Just, just tell them to be, calm down, be, be quiet. And what does Jesus tell them? If these were silent, the very stones would cry out. God is going to get his glory one way or another, and the wicked are going to get their judgments. And they may seem like they have it all figured out now and they're untouchable, but they're going to fall. It will come back around on them <laughs> because they plot ruin for many people. Instead of using what they have that God has blessed them with for good, they're using it for their own selfish gain and oppressing people, and it will come back around on them, and they will feel oppression as well. Well, number three, <laughs> verses 12 to 14, this is bloodshed um, and, and iniquity. And we talked about iniquity a couple weeks ago, but this idea of iniquity is, is, is premeditated choice. Right? And we can't miss that piece Right, whether it's in your whether it's thoughts or, or words or actions, it's premeditated. You've looked at a situation and you've said, This is how I'm going to, to respond. And if left unchecked, it leads to, to willful sin and finds itself having no fear of God whatsoever. Woe to him who builds his town, built a town with blood, and founds a city on iniquity. <laughs> Though who willfully oppress people, kill people, murder people, take people into captivity, sell them, woe to them who build on bloodshed and plundering and these relentless expansionist policies like Babylon. But Judah was doing the exact same thing as they were with their building up security for themselves and their arrogance and their extortion. Judah was doing the exact same thing within their 
country as well. And we get to verse 13. Right? Remember when we ever see the word beholds? Right? We, we pause, that should get our attention. Right? Beholds. Right? Is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? What you need to notice here that in these woes up to this point, this is the first time that the word Lord appears. Right? And, and, it's, and it's significant right, that it's the word Lord, it's, it's, the, it's the covenant name of God, it's, it's, it's Yahweh, but it's, it's, it's the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire and nations worry themselves for nothing. God has ordained them and has ordained their downfall because they are not serving the Lord's purposes. They're serving their own purposes, and they're going to end up laboring for the basics and the bare minimum, and in the end, it's going to be nothing for them. Nothing. Now, that phrase, Lord of hosts, is very, very significant because whenever you read that phrase, Lord of hosts, it usually is concerning God and his visible control over world events. Okay, so here's the shift in the woes, right? Those first two were that that sin and oppression was going to end up undoing the nation that was doing it. But now Habakkuk is saying, listen, the Lord of hosts is doing stuff visibly. We, we, can, we see him working, and he's going to have these nations labor for nothing, the first time that phrase appears, it's in First and Second Samuel. And I'm not going to go through like all the specifics here this morning, but what I want you to know and understand is that anytime you read that phrase in the book of First and Second Samuel, there's significant changes happening in the structure in the nation of Israel. God is doing something visibly in the nation. The first time it's used is when the nation is preparing for the monarchy. Remember, Israel wanted a king, wanted a king, wanted a king. God's like, okay, I'll, I'll give you a king. And they get Saul. Well, the Lord of hosts did that and gave them Saul. That's the first time. The second time it's used is when there's a change in the kings, right? Saul, not that great of a guy. Who replaces Saul? David, the Lord of hosts, did that. And the third time is when David is confirmed as king. The Lord of hosts did that. So the Lord of hosts is working here in these nations, and they're going to labor for nothing. <laughs> there is a power greater than the oppressor that is out there. These nations that think they have it all figured out, these people that believe they have it all figured out, there's something greater happening, and that is the Lord of hosts who stands sovereign over his creation and who allows things to fulfill his purposes. And that means that those that are oppressing people are going to end up toiling and laboring for the basics. And although basics, and so they think that they're getting all the glory. And what does verse 14 tell us? The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. He laughs at those nations. Read Psalm 2. 
he laughs at them. It's not about your glory. You're toiling for the basics. The earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of God, His glory, His character, His nature, the one who stands sovereign over everything. The world will know ultimately the glory and the majesty of God's. God works in this world to accomplish His purposes. It's not your glory. God says, oh, please, it's my glory. It's my greatness. His purposes go beyond punishing the wicked's. Right? God's desire is for all the people of the world to know Him and His glory. Not know about Him, know Him personally. God created us to be with Him. So for believers, for Christians, like this, this verse, right, just should you lodge that verse deep into your heart. Take this verse to mind. It should point you to the work of Jesus Christ. It should point you to the gospel. And God sending his one and only son to this earth to make himself known, right? He's the finest and final communication of God revealing himself to his creation. It's the clearest way that God can communicate who he is. It's through his son, Jesus Christ. John 1.14, the word became flesh and it dwelt among us and we have seen his glory as of the son, the only son from the father, full of grace and full of truth. It is Christ who makes God known. It's Christ who gives God the glory. It's the gospel that shows the redemptive plan of our Lord and Savior. And we want the earth to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord's. And so we share the gospel. We point people to, to Christ. We look for openings and avenues to, to, to take relationships deeper and share Jesus with, with people because we want to take part in being filling the world with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It's the Great Commission. It's all those things. It's about the glory of the Lord's. Fourth woe, <laughs> shame and disgrace. There are people, there are nations that are out there to shame and to disgrace and to belittle. <laughs> Woe to him that makes his neighbor drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. Right? You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourselves and show your uncircumcision. The cup of the, in the Lord's right hand will come around you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. Right? The, it's bullying. Right? It's bullying. Preying on the weak to disgrace them and to belittle them and to shame them. And Judah was doing this to its own people. The rulers in Judah, the people in Judah, the elite in Judah were doing this to their own people, as was Babylon. Whenever they would conquer a nation, man, they, they, would, they would whoop you, but then they would make you feel about this big, and they would shame you and disgrace you in front of the entire world. 
know, looking for glory, but they themselves will be shamed and disgraced. How? The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. It's the judgment of God. <laughs> he will intervene, and he will bring shame upon them. He will disgrace them who are striving after their own glory. God is directly involved in these nations and what these nations are doing, <laughs> and he will bring judgment upon Judah using Babylon, just like he brought judgment on Assyria with Babylon, and he will bring judgment against Babylon. Remember Habakkuk's complaint? Is it just seems slow, right? It just seemed slow, but God will bring judgment against evil and the wicked be patient and be faithful and waits. God has and he will prove himself to be an impartial, righteous judge. He is the just and the justifier of the ungodly and on those who believe as well. <laughs> this, this is hard sometimes for, for us to wrap our heads around. You think about our, our modern society, the culture in which we live, right, that seems it strives to be so sophisticated and so trendy and so cutting edge. But if you're not pursuing the things of the Lord, you're only going to bring shame and disgrace upon yourself. Or to seek first the kingdom of God and, and his righteousness. Fifth woe, idolatry. <laughs> what profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing awake and to a silent stone arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver and there is no breath at all in it. These idols that they were making and fashioning, these little trinkets they had, and they would put them on their mantles. Their creations, thinking, surely this will help us. To tell a piece of wood or a stone to awake or to arise is foolish. It's folly. A silent idol offers no revelation or no no guidance. And here's the thing with idols, right? Although they're silent, they are able to deceive in their silence. They teach nothing but lies. You're making a God in your own image. So what do we trust in in our own lives? That's idolatry, right? I, I, don't, I don't know for sure, 
but like I'm, I'm fairly confident that, that we don't carve wooden images and put them on mantles anymore. But we have idols in our own hearts. John Calvin says our heart's an idol factory. Could be money. Could be success. Could be good grades in school. Could be having the most friends in school. Could be the right job. High profile job. We have idols in our own hearts and we set them up on the shelves in our hearts. Right? And the thing about idolatry is that when somebody comes along and they bump the shelf that's in your heart and your idol, start, your idol starts to teeter a little bit, right, you flip out. And it reveals your heart and what you're truly trusting in. But we struggle with idolatry like Judah and like Babylon and like every nation that ever has and ever will be except for the kingdom of God's. Idolatry is futility. It's an attempt to avoid God, and at the core, you're denying his existence because you're putting something else in place of him. And that's why I believe Habakkuk ends at verse 20 with, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Set him up all you want. God is supreme and sovereign over his creation. He is. Not your little trinket, not your little idol, not the little thing you're cherishing in your heart more than you're cherishing God's. The reality is simply this, that all of life is live, lived under the rule of God's. And those that live by their faith know that justice will finally be seen. Trust no one else, trust nothing else, but the one true living God. He sits enthroned in his temple. And here's how we can know this. If we go back to the first part of Habakkuk chapter verse 6 he writes shall not all these things shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say when Habakkuk introduces this he uses the word taunt scoff and riddle now those words are used in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 6. Right, so this, these woes, right, this is, remember when I said it's not so much taunting against an enemy, like woe to you, it's just woe for the wickedness and the evil, right? So this isn't, this, that, that Habakkuk passage isn't like prophetic in a sense, it's pulling from wisdom literature. 
and the book of Proverbs. <laughs> Let me read the first seven verses of the book of Proverbs. Right, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear an increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. Here's verse 6. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So we read Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 6 through 20, not as prophecy, not as prophetic judgment, but as wisdom. Here's how you live. There are those who are going to be greedy for unjust gain. There are those who are going to devise wickedness and bloodshed and evil, who are going to be arrogant and building up security for themselves, who are going to shame people and disgrace people, who are going to pursue idolatry and all of its rampant forms. But God gives understanding. He teaches us how we are to live. We trust in God and God alone. And so we get to verse 20 and we hear Habakkuk. And Habakkuk is hushing himself and calling for the entire world to sit silent before God who sits enthroned over his creation. He's the one you fear. He's the one that you trust. And so Habakkuk is saying, I need to be silent here as the whole world needs to be silent as we understand that God works and moves in ways that we do not understand. Right? Habakkuk's issue was not what he didn't know about God, but what he did know about God, right? And he couldn't see God's justice being worked out in the world around him, and that God's solution, which was Babylon, seemed preposterous. Habakkuk wanted justice, and he wanted it right now, and God says, wait, it's coming, trust me. My timing is perfect, yours is not. The righteous lives by his faith. Understand who I am, understand that I am indeed working. I, I, I know what's happening. I'm very interested in what's happening. I'm going to act justly, I'm going to bring justice. How does God do this? Well, in those first two woes, That judgment that, they, that, the, that, the, that these nations will feel comes from their own actions. Their wickedness and their evil is going to be the seeds of their own destruction. Right? You, you, you reap what you sow. God will not be mocked. 
And so sometimes as we're in this world, as we see the wickedness and the evil in this world, and we cry out for God to bring justice, we need to understand and remember that there are going to be times when we're not going to see any direct action from God. And he's still good, and he's just, and he's right. It's, it's, it's God, it's Romans 1, and it's God turning them over to their sin. Sometimes that's the way God works. <laughs> but then in those last three woes, right, God is specifically mentioned as being involved. And so there are times when God intervenes. There's times when God steps in and deals directly with the wickedness and the evil and the violence and the lack of justice in our worlds. And no matter how he chooses to respond, he's still God. He still is in his holy temple and the whole earth should be silent before him. It's a call to worship him for who he is and for how he chooses to sovereignly act in his creation. Whether he allows the wicked to undo themselves, or to whether he steps in and deals with it directly himself, right? Either way, he's good. Either way, he's just. Either way, he's right. He hasn't changed. It's his plan. And he's sovereign over his creation. And he's going to use it for his glory. It's hard to sit and to wait. It's hard to sit and to see the wickedness and to see the evil and to see the oppression and to see the greed and the arrogance and the bloodshed. It's hard. But our God is God. He's all powerful, all knowing. He knows exactly what He's doing, and He's doing it to perfection. Every minute little detail done to perfection, justice will be served. He is the just and the justifier. He's our God. As we think through these five woes, <laughs> extortion, Greed, pride, violence, iniquity, shame and disgrace and idolatry. Um, I, I want you to, to if, if nothing else, you leave on this. That your Savior, Jesus Christ, experienced all five. There were people, the religious leaders of the day that used their power to obtain through force, through threats. They took advantage of others. 
They took the wealth from the people. Jesus was in that. (laughs) Jesus himself was extorted. Jesus experienced the the greed and the arrogance of people (laughs) trying to buy security. Just, Just read the interactions of Jesus with the Pharisees. Jesus experienced this. The greed and the arrogance. They thought they were setting themselves up for security. They were beyond the reach of anyone. Jesus understands bloodshed. Jesus understands iniquity and people making premeditated choices against him. And who he was, who he is. Jesus experienced shame and disgrace as he hung on that cross, being mocked and ridiculed and spat upon. Jesus experienced idolatry. (laughs) How many of the people that followed him, were there for the show. They weren't there for him and what he had to offer them. They were there for the miracles and they were there for the healings. They weren't there for him as their savior. He knows what it's like to wait. It was God's plan It was the will of the Lord to crush his son. Jesus knew that it was coming and he he waited patiently, patiently and faithfully fulfilled the plans and the purposes of God. It's our Jesus. He knows. So as the author of Hebrews says, Since then, we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus knows. He's our Savior. He knows. We can trust Him. We can trust Him. Thank you for listening to this audio from Twin Villages Church in Damascata, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and for more information about Twin Villages Church, visit twinvillageschurch.org. Soli Deo Gloria.